from the East Coast to the West Coast and to listeners around the world. Welcome to the Truth Seekers Radio Show. I'm your host, Angeline Marie. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. We're broadcasting on Liberty Works Radio Network at libertyworksradionetwork.com and their affiliate stations. Also, don't forget, you can always learn more about our program and find podcasts posted at truthseekersradioshow.com. Today, my guest is Rob Skiba. He's an award-winning documentary filmmaker and the best-selling author of several books, including Babylon Rising and The First Shall Be Last and Archon Invasion, The Rise, Fall, and Return of the Nephilim. As an ancient Nephilim theorist, Rob brings a unique and often unheard perspective to the UFO alien discussion. As such, he has become an internationally recognized public speaker on these subjects, often appearing on paranormal and prophecy talk shows as a featured keynote speaker at conferences all over the world. Rob also has a radio program called Revolutionary Radio on the Truth Frequency Radio Network. And today I'm going to talk to him about something a little bit more off the beaten path. For the last year, I know he has been looking into a subject that has become a little taboo and a lot more people are getting interested in it as of late. So if you will help me welcome Rob Skiba. Hi, Rob. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for coming back. We ran out of time last episode, so I'm I'm thrilled that you're back to uh, answer some of these other questions I had. You know, something that really surprised me because I went to I I grew up in Florida, and we have terrible school system, and all I remember in terms of history is them saying. Christopher Columbus thought the earth was flat, ha, ha, ha. So it was all done in sarcasm. What really surprised me when I started looking into this more was that many people from all the major religions, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, believe that the earth was flat. What prompted that change? Well, you know, you could all people who believe in the ball earth would say it really goes back to the ancient Greeks at about um, 200 BC or so. Uh, what's his name? Eratosthenes or Eratosthenes? I'm not sure how you pronounce the guy's name, but some ancient Greek dude. He uh, he noticed that there was a shadow underneath an obelisk in uh, I think it was in Syene and in Alexandria at a certain time of the year, a certain time of day, the same shadow was longer. So, you know, he sort of starts with the premise that the sun is stationary and far away and that the earth must be a ball. So if the earth is, if the, if the sun is stationary and far away and it's shining on the earth and it's giving a shadow directly under one obelisk and yet an ob- another obelisk, you know, however many miles away is casting a longer shadow, well, the only way that's possible in his mind, is that we must be on a curved surface. Well, okay, if you start with the premise that the sun is stationary and really far away, and to, in that regard, he was a brilliant mathematician, because what he did was he figured, well, if the earth is curved, how big is the, and if it's a ball, how big is the ball? Well, you could just take the line of both obelisks and continue them into the center of the earth to when they meet, and then using a mathematical theorem, you could figure out you know, based on on, on that, uh, those measurements, what the circumference of the Earth is. And, and interestingly enough, that he came up with about 25,000 miles in circumference, which is what we still hold to today. Well, is that the only solution to that problem? 
No, it's not, because the previous belief was that the Earth is stationary and circular and that the sun, moon, and stars are moving above us. So if you take those same two obelisks on a flat plane with a moving sun that's local, it's a, it's a local sun, it's not millions of miles away, then if that sun is directly over this obelisk in one location, then, yeah, it's going to cast a shadow straight down. But the same light of that sun shining on the other obelisk that's further away would cast a long shadow exactly the same way as it would in his model. So it's not the only solution. And as we talked about in the last episode, the entire ancient Near East prior to that believed in a circular or some sort of flat plane generally set on pillars under a dome or under a canopy or under the firmament, whatever word you want to choose. So there were certainly some people who listened to some of these early Greek scholars and may have believed it. But the vast majority of the world were still under, on the assumption of the flat earth. And that really, you know, they talk about Columbus, and I, I guess the story goes, uh, you know, his men were afraid, I guess, that uh, they would fall off the edge of the earth. And he's like, no, no, don't worry about it. You know, the earth's really a ball. And, you know, this whole argument with the king and blah, 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 is the earth flat? Or, you know, is that a myth? Is that a legend? Is that, you know, I don't know. But that's, we've been taught that in school, right? And that, you know, he thought if he leaves Spain and goes around the ball, then he'll end up in India. Well, he runs into the Americas, and he thinks that he's in India, so that's why the Native Americans became known as Indians. Uh, well, okay, that's interesting, right, that these people may have thought that. And then that, that's the other argument that the ball earthers will use is, well, how come you can, circumnav- you can circumnavigate? That proves that we're on a ball. Well, no, it doesn't, because if you're heading, uh, let's say you're heading west. If you head west, you keep north off to you know, your right side, if you're going straight west, north is off to the right. So you just keep your compass pointing to the right for north, and you go, you know, straight ahead. Well, if you, in the flat circular Earth model, north is the center of the disk. So if your compass is pointing towards the center, circumnavigation on a disk works exactly the same way as it does on a ball. It's a record player. You know, the needle, you know, goes, or the, you know, the record's moving in, in this case, but, you know, it comes back to generally the same place as it, you know, as the disc rotates. You know, so you can circumnavigate a disc exactly the same way you can circumnavigate a ball. You know, when you're using north as your your compass heading, go so mm-hmm. east or west. So um, I don't know if I answered your question or if I just went down a long <laughs> rabbit trail. Uh, what was the initial question? Well, when it was, did, when did all that change? Well, yeah. it all started changing really with right. Copernicus. Yeah, the, the, the real scientific paradigm really began to change with Copernicus, Galileo, Newton. That's where it really started to change. Okay, Rob, let's go ahead and take our first break. Listeners, today my guest is Rob Skiba. He's an award-winning documentary filmmaker and best-selling author and radio talk show host. And we'll be back momentarily on the Truth Seekers radio show. This alert just came in. This special announcement is for business owners and leaders of organizations who've been waiting for the right time to build. General Steel has made it impossible to wait any longer with rock-bottom prices that could save you thousands. 
That's right, General Steel, America's leader in pre-engineered structures, is offering buildings at prices you will never see again. Don't miss these prices. A 50 by 100 for $35,000. You heard right. That's 5,000 square feet for $35,000. Manufacturers, if you need a larger building, try a 100 by 100 commercial building for $129,000. You can't afford to rent with these prices. Imagine a 70 by 100 foot church building for under $69,000. With the economy improving and interest rates still at historic You can't afford to wait. So call Call 800-965-1291. 800-965-1291. 800-965-1291. You can control your health care with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is an alternative to expensive health insurance. You can finally make the right decisions for you and your family. It's not insurance. It's medical cost sharing. You can affordably control the cost of your medical expenses. It's a group of individuals effectively sharing the cost of health care and paying far less for it. You don't even have to pay for procedures that are unnecessary or that violate your conscience. This is based on shared values. You are not alone. With Liberty Health Share, you're part of something bigger, a group of people who care for and support one another. Join the movement of people who share in medical costs and change the way you pay for your health care forever. It's simple and easy. Call 1-800-714-6993 right now for more information. Or visit LibertyOnCall.com. Get a free estimate today. Liberty HealthShare. There is an answer. Welcome back. You're listening to the Truth Seekers radio show today. My guest is Rob Skiba, and we are discussing flat earth and what does the Bible have to say about that? Rob, NASA has had to play, especially as of late, they've had to play a big role to set the backdrop, I think, for a lot of the things, especially that we're seeing now. I don't know about you, but I'm very suspicious about all this stuff about Mars suddenly. Oh, yeah. Mars, Pluto, all of that. Um, In fact, uh, I did a video on it. Jaron from the YouTube channel, Jaronism, did a a video on it. There's been a number of people who have done videos on that. All the stuff we're supposedly seeing from Mars may be from, I think it's uh, Devon Island, uh, you know, just sort of northwest of Greenland. And, and, uh, I mean, I've done a video on it. A few others have, too. If you look at the imagery that you can see on Google Earth, and you can even see that NASA's there. They are there. They have their little probe there. You can actually see it in action there. Uh, you know, if and they'll say, well, they're using Devon Island as a training, uh, you know, tra- a, tra- a training site for the rover. Okay, sure, you can understand that, but you can also imagine that you could use it to hoax everybody. Right. <laughs> because you know, all you have to do is change the the color filter in Photoshop just a little bit to give it more of a red hue, if that's what you want. Uh, you know, and it's very believable that it could be on Mars. Problem is, it's not. And, uh, you know, I, I did this in a, I, was, I did a flat earth debate with Zach Bauer in uh, Beaumont, Texas, a couple months ago. And, you know, was showing him, uh, showing different images. And I showed the audience an image of moon craters and said, okay, this picture was very important regarding the Apollo 11 mission. Of course, that's the mission which we allegedly first landed on the moon. And I said, can you tell me? what region this represents 
related to the Apollo 11 mission on the moon. And, of course, everybody's going to say the Sea of Tranquility. And I say, well, that would be true, except that this picture was shot in Arizona. <laughs> and, that, and that was and, my first thought as soon as I saw those photos. It was shot in Arizona. The uh, Arizona was blown up. A, a region of Arizona was blown up to look like the moon. Mm -hmm. uh, and same thing. You know, this is a very compelling imagery that all you need, and it's shot in black and white. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it looks gray, looks like moon, but it's Arizona. <laughs> and then I saw a picture. I saw a picture of, of Buzz Aldrin in Arizona standing in front of a hill, I guess, presumably in that same general location. Uh, and, you know, so this is a picture of him wearing a cowboy hat standing next to this other guy, you know, in Arizona in front of this hill. Well, you see a picture of him in a space suit, allegedly an official picture of him on the moon in front of the same hill on the moon. When did, you first, when did you first start to question uh, NASA's credibility? Was that back a while? Well, yeah, when I, like I said in the previous show, I wanted to be an astronaut my whole life. So I, you know, that, that, that NASA was something that I was very interested in and wanted to be a part of and read a lot about the missions and stuff like that. But uh, I want to say probably pretty close to the same time I started questioning 9-11, uh, which was about 2006, I began to question the moon landings as well. And uh, I don't remember exactly when the movie came out, but there's a documentary called uh, Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Moon. Uh, I think his name is uh, Bart Sabrell, if I remember right. Um, he did a really good video debunking the moon landing. And another one, Astronauts Gone Wild. <laughs> where he basically goes to the astronauts and said, hey, swear on the Bible that you went to the moon. Now, if you watch their reactions, these guys get mad. In fact, Buzz Aldrin popped, punched them right in the face. All he wanted them to do is put their hand on the Bible and said that they you know, would swear that they went on the moon. You know, if you really did, why would you get so upset about that? Like, I tell people all the time, I was in the Army and I flew helicopters. If somebody challenged me, didn't believe me, thought I was full of it, making it all up and said, okay, fine, Rob. Put your hand on the Bible and swear that you flew helicopters in the Army. <laughs> okay, you know, what translation? Pick one. You know, I'll, I'll put my hand on a stack of Bibles. What do I care? I mean, I'm telling the truth. I'm not going to punch somebody in the face and get mad at them for telling me, asking me that. You know, even if they doubted me, I wouldn't get angry at them. So just that reaction alone and some of the other videos, and there's been a number of them been done since then, throws NASA's credibility out the window as far as I'm concerned. Rob, what which mean you... Which means they've been stealing uh -huh. billions of dollars from the American people, tens of billions right. of dollars. Every year, they've been stealing from us to perpetuate a lie, a fraud. And because people so believe in them, they're getting away with it so easily. Yeah, I think we need to have a serious investigation of, of NASA. Somebody needs to, you know, mount a, a real, I mean, from what I heard, uh, I heard recently that Russia was uh, trying to do something like that regarding the, uh, the moon mission. But even that, I, I would question it because... You know, we were supposedly in the space race with Russia, right? And, you know, all of a sudden we beat Russia and they just give up. They just quit. Really? Mm -hmm. Who does that? You know, especially with all that they had already invested in, you know, in their space program. Well, they didn't just give up. Um, you know, it, it appears they gave up on the space program, you know, trying to get to the moon. And Apollo, you know, took over. But what they did is they kept going to Antarctica. This is like 36 missions to Antarctica. And this is where it all gets really interesting is because you have Operation High Jump with Admiral Byrd. And they call it Operation High Jump because when you get there, there's like a 100 to 200 foot wall of ice that you encounter. You know, so you got to get over this ice thing, you know. 
Uh, and he comes back from that mission and goes on public t- television telling the world, man, Antarctica's amazing, everything we can imagine is down there, blah, blah, blah. So all these countries start going down there, and then they have Operation Deep Freeze, and then things get weird after Operation Deep Freeze. Uh, everybody pulls out of there. They, all the nations that were involved signed this Antarctic Treaty saying that nobody could go back there except under the express guidelines and restrictions of the Antarctic Treaty. You can't set up military bases down there. You can't, you know, you can go there for scientific purposes, but, you know, everything's very restricted within the guidelines of this treaty. We can't, you and I can't, you know, we could go on a tour down there, but we're going to go on a tour that's going to be under the guidelines of the Antarctic Treaty. We can't just go out, take a joyride down there and do whatever we want. Uh, and then right after that, NASA's formed in 1958. Then you have the space race. Russia allegedly loses and, and gives up. No, they start going to Antarctica while we do this whole facade of the Apollo lunar missions. So it's very, um, you know, if they're trying to avoid conspiracy, they're not helping with the names. Oh, and right after, <laughs> right after, you know, you got Operation High Jump, Operation Deep Freeze, everybody pulls out, signs the Antarctic Treaty. And, and before the space race, there was the missile race. And right after they create the NASA, 1958, and the Antarctic Treaty, the United States and Russia start launching high-altitude nuclear bombs into the sky. And they call it Operation Fishbowl. Okay, and, and Fishbowl was part of the larger project called Operation Dominic. And I just found this out recently. If you, if you go on one of those name websites that tell you, you know, what your name means, right. Dominic means of the Lord. So... <laughs> the mission that they called the high altitude nuclear explosions was called the fishbowl of the Lord. <laughs> I mean, really, seriously. So it appears that whatever they did in Operation Deep Freeze, it appears from a conspiracy mindset that they found something. Did they touch the edge of the dome and freak mm-hmm. out and go, uh, how high does this thing go? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Let's find out. And they start launching up bombs into the atmosphere. And if you look at the footage of the, uh, the Operation Fishbowl, it looks like they're hitting something up there, you know, with these bombs. And they call it Fishbowl of the Lord. I mean, come on. So, it, you know, if that's the case, you know, they probably – if it, it, let's just say the biblical model is absolutely true. You could see why the nations of the world who may be invested in an atheistic model and hiding God, as Mark Sargent says – would have a vested interest in keeping the public, not just the American public, the public at large, um, you know, not 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 aware of right. all this stuff. So in order to do that, you've got to create a really big lie, which means, you know, Zach Bauer, one of the things he said, well, you know, the Russians hate us and the you know, Koreans hate us and the Japanese and all these other people, you know, they, why would they lie for the U.S.? You know, okay, fine, it's one thing to expose NASA as a fraud, but are all these other space programs fraudulent too? My question would be, are they signatures of the Antarctic Treaty? Because if their name is in the Antarctic Treaty, then in my mind they're just as suspect as, as the United States is. Because they would have to be in on, at the highest level, they would have to be in on the secret. Everybody else below compartmentalization, because one of Zach's other arguments is that, well, this would be way too big a conspiracy. Too many people would have to be in on it. No, they wouldn't. Not at all. If you want to look at compartmentalization and how that works in a beautiful sense, look up the Manhattan Project. Hundreds of thousands of people working on this project, to the tune of billions of dollars. The vice president of the United States didn't even know what was going on. The American people were clueless as to what go- was going on. And if you were in the office next to mine and we were both on the project, you wouldn't know what I was doing, and I wouldn't know what you were doing in the office next door to me. So, no, I mean, 
the rocket scientists, the engineers, the avionics, you know, electricians, the mechanics, these guys don't have to know anything. All they're doing is building stuff that, as far as they're concerned, is going to get launched up into space. The only ones that have to be in on it are the ones at the highest levels pulling the, the strings, calling the shots, and the puppeteer actors that are, you know, the astronauts. And I did a search on, you know, would it really be that big a conspiracy? How many people have been to space? And when I, at the time I did it, it was like, something like 550 people of all of humanity. Seven billion people on the planet, on the Earth, on the circle, whatever you want to call this place. Seven billion people here, and only 500 and change have been to space. And of the 500 and change, the vast majority of those are from the United States and Russia. And of the vast majority of those... They were either former military or Freemasons, or both. So, you know, these governments are very good at keeping secrets. Secret societies, well, that's what they do. They go to a secret society that keeps secrets, and the military keeps secrets. So it really wouldn't be that big a conspiracy. You know, it wouldn't have to be that many people in on it to make it happen. It's time to take our next break. Listeners will be back momentarily on the Truth Seekers radio show. If you're struggling to pay or haven't been making your student loan payments, listen carefully to this urgent alert. Have you been out of school for 10 or more years and you're still making your student loan payments? Are your student loans past due or even in default? Can't go back to school because of an old student loan problem? We can help you if you qualify. Your student loans can be taken out of default. We can stop the wage garnishments, stop the collection calls, and stop the seizure of your tax refund. Give yourself a break. Stop the stress and see if we can help you reduce your student loan payments. One quick 10-minute call could solve them right now. So call the Student Loan Helpline now. 855-371-FAST, 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 855-371-3278. This is a fee-based document preparation service to help you access free government programs. Call for complete details not available in all states. Want to lose weight? Then turn your body into a furnace that literally melts the fat away. That's exactly what Thermometer does. Thermometer is uniquely formulated with patented ingredients like bitter orange, brown seaweed, and decaffeinated green tea. Their combined thermogenic properties boost up your metabolism and turn up the heat in your body so you melt the fat away without any jittery side effects. Thermometer is not available in stores. It's only available to listeners of this station. We're giving away 100 free bottles right now to anyone who enrolls in our special trial offer. Call now for your risk-free trial offer. 800-430-4147 One more time, 800-430-4147 Welcome back. You're listening to the Truth Seekers radio show. Today, my guest is Rob Skiba. Rob, do you think Stanley Kubrick was really involved in filming of the moon landings? Yeah, I do. Um, he's certainly the most likely and best candidate. You know, assuming it, it is fraudulent and it was all shot on a soundstage somewhere, he would be the guy for sure. 
And in fact, uh, people, all you need to do is watch the making of 2001: A Space Odyssey. Look at, go look up on YouTube or you know Google it, um, a documentary on how they made 2001, which preceded this the uh, alleged lunar landing. So, and then watch the, the movie The Shining. And um, uh, Jay Wiener did a whole breakdown of the movie The Shining, showing how Kubrick was basically using that movie to tell the world uh, through codes and symbols and imagery that he was the one that did the space. The, the Apollo missions. It seems like, too, that they, why do they, they, they always tell you everything they're doing, but but they kind of do it in a hidden way. But it's almost like they have to tell us everything that they're doing before they yeah, do I believe it. They, I believe they do. I believe that's a law. Uh, Amos 3.7 says that God himself won't do anything except that he tells his servants, the prophets, first what he's going to do. So if the creator of the universe bound himself to this law, then I believe the fallen ones are just as bound to it as well. And so they have to telegraph their intentions before doing it. And But they do it through symbols and you know, logos and iconography, and they put it in plain sight. And symbols are, are the language of the Illuminati, Freemasons, and you know, secret societies. Because why? Symbols conceal from those who don't have eyes to see and reveal to those who do have eyes to see. So they put it out there, you know, and uh, our silence is consent. When nobody takes a stand against it, mm-hmm. recognizes it, and says, oh, no, not on my watch, then our silence is consent, and they go through with it. That's why I think things like 923, you know, 9-11 was telegraphed in a lot of TV shows and movies prior to the event. Lots of memes, lots and lots of them that we only found out on hindsight, you know, looking back on it and looking at the history before, you know, of television and, and, and movies and stuff before 9-11. Now we're looking, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at, holy cow, it's everywhere, you know. Well, you know, once people became aware of that, they started looking for memes. And 923 started coming up a lot, if you remember last year. A lot of people at Jade Helm and all that kind of stuff and people pointing to 9, you know, September 23rd of last year as another potential, you know, false flag or what have you, something could happen. What I think happened with 923 is people were seeing the memes because they're looking for them now ahead of time, and they just didn't give them the consent. The Internet hive mind, as it were, if you, we could use the term, people who are looking into this stuff, uh, exposing it, by, by them seeing it, exposing it for what it was, I believe they put, drew a line in the sand and said, no, we do not consent to this. So it very well could be that there was something planned for well, September 23rd. That, oh, oh. Wasn't that the day that Obama met with the Pope? Well, there was things that happened then, yes. There were things that happened. And, of course, there's a number of people out there who think Obama's the Antichrist, so everything he does, they're looking at it going, oh, this is a sign for something. Um, personally, I don't hold that view. I do not think the Antichrist is going to need a teleprompter to address sixth graders. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I think the guy is just a teleprompter reading puppet and a idiot, and I'm not at all concerned about him. Um, is he an antichrist? Sure. Is he the antichrist? No, not, not in my opinion. Um, but you know, to be fair, these guys are pieces on the chessboard, and they are being moved uh, to do to accomplish certain things, to advance agendas. So, you know, I don't want to minimize that. They are certainly doing things. The Pope is doing things. Obama's doing things. Other people are doing things that are all and, and have been for decades. So maybe even say for millennia. 
especially you realize that all of our presidents, that's why I don't care about who's going to get elected, selected this year, because your votes don't matter anyway. Even if you took all your conspiracy theory, you know, tinfoil hat stuff and put it away, you know, put that aside, the Electoral College alone should tell you your votes don't matter. <laughs> but, you know, when you have 44 presidents all related not only to each other, but to one guy, King John Lackland, the signer of the Magna Carta, the statistical odds alone prove that your votes have never mattered. You know, how can we have presidents of the people, for the people, by the people, and still all be related to each other and all related to one guy? Really? No, I don't think so. And the, the next one's going to be really, and even if you're a Trump guy, people, Trump's the answer. He's, you know, he's not this, he's not that, he's the guy. He's related to the Clintons. He's in the family. You speak, you speak all over, and you speak, I would imagine, to a lot of Christian audiences. What yeah. what has been your experience with them as far as far as the um, flat Earth theory? You know, it's funny. Is I haven't been going out to do flat Earth conferences uh-huh. um, per per se. However, uh, I did two conferences, kind of back to back. One in Oklahoma, and one in uh, Austin. And in both cases, it was a it was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday deal, and you know I, I taught you know all you know in the evening on Friday and all day on Saturday, and I came back on Sunday, and this is what I said to the audience: I said, look, I didn't get to cover everything I wanted to cover and what we talked about yesterday, uh, so I can continue on that if you'd like. Here are all my books, and I, and I gave a synopsis of my books. Here are all my DVDs, I gave a synopsis of the DVDs. I could talk about any of these things or anything else, whatever you'd like to talk about. I'll, I'll give Sunday to you. You tell me what you want to talk about. And in both of those events, in Oklahoma and in uh, Austin, they they wanted to talk about Flat Earth. And in both of those cases, I spent the better part of five hours on a Sunday <laughs> exclusively talking about that subject. So, you know, obviously the people who asked me to talk about that were people who were either looking into it themselves or intrigued, you know, by what I had already done. But not everybody in the audience was, you know, knew anything about my research on, in that regard. Mm-hmm. So they were shocked that I'm like, what? what? You, you, you talk, what? You, huh? But right. by the end of it, by the end of it, at the very least, I shut up my critics. And I showed them enough visual footage, you know, that I shot and imagery and gave them enough to think about that they couldn't continue on the you're an idiot, you're a moron path. And they had to start to take a serious look at, you know, am I going to look into this myself? Or am I going to go off in my cognitive dissonance and just be happy with that? Uh, then my second time going back to Oklahoma, I did do my first lecture on Flat Earth intentionally. And people could go on YouTube and check that out. It's the Genesis Revelation Part 1. Um, I think I called it, Is Genesis True or Can We Trust Genesis or something like that. I don't remember the exact title of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if they just look up the Genesis Revelation Part 1, they'll find it. And that was stri- strictly looking at the biblical evidence. And, and I started the, the, the event, it was in front of a Christian audience, I said, how many of you would say that you believe the Bible is divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by men? Raise your hand. Everybody raise their hand. How many of you would say that the Bible, therefore, is our source for truth? Everybody raise your hand. How many of you would say that we can and should take it literally, except for when it tells us not to? And by that I mean, Obviously, there are times when somebody like Jesus is talking in parables. Well, you're not going to take it literally because he's talking in a parable. Or um, symbolic, you know, you'll see some weird freaky beast, and then an angel shows up and says, okay, John, here's what the weird freaky beast represents. So you know it's speaking in symbolic language, metaphor, allegory. So 
except for when it's obviously talking in symbol, allegory, metaphor, or parable, would you say we could take it literally? Yes, everybody raise their hand. I said, okay, here we go. <laughs> and I just went through it. And as I went through it and kind of just hitting on some major verses, and the big one for me was you have Isaiah, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, the Son of God himself, Peter and John, all four of these guys telling you that all the stars in the sky are going to fall to earth in the last days. Well, if what we're told by Carl Sagan, Neil deGrasse Tyson, and the like, in all of our secular schools, textbooks, if that is true, then forget about the Antichrist, forget about ISIS, forget about Obama, forget about the Muslims or whoever else you, you think is the big threat. We've got a way bigger problem if Orion and Andromeda and the Milky Way is headed our way. And you can't get around it. It says point blank. Isaiah, Jesus, Yeshua, you know, Peter and John, all four of these guys said the star is going to fall to the earth. So, and, and there's no indication they're talking in parables or allegory or symbolic terms. So, you know, through the presentation, I kept saying, are you still taking it literally? Because here's the, here's the dilemma, and, and this is what I'm, you know, stuck with for myself. If we are, in fact, in a spinning heliocentric ball in an ever-expanding universe, then I, nor you, nor anyone else can ever say that the Bible is inerrant and that we can take it literally. We can never say that, because clearly it is an error, and, or it's all symbolic and metaphorical. And if it's all symbolic and metaphorical and it's all poetry, then we can make it say whatever we want to. Then you run into the, the dilemma of what's called private interpretation. If the whole thing is poetry, the whole thing is allegorical, then how can you say anything is absolute truth? Because I could interpret it differently in my allegory. It's just a metaphor. I can make whatever I want for the symbols. See, do you see the problem? And so did the audience. So at the very least, I gave them something to think about. It's time to take our next break. Listeners will be back momentarily on the Truth Seekers radio show. Want to lose weight? Then turn your body into a furnace that literally melts the fat away. That's exactly what Thermometer does. Thermometer is uniquely formulated with patented ingredients like bitter orange, brown seaweed, and decaffeinated green tea. Their combined thermogenic properties boost up your metabolism and turn up the heat in your body so you melt the fat away without any jittery side effects. Thermometer is not available in stores. It's only available to listeners of this station. We're giving away 100 free bottles right now to anyone who enrolls in our special trial offer. Call now for your risk-free trial offer. 800-430-4147 One more time, 800-430-4147 This alert just came in. This special announcement is for business owners and leaders of organizations who've been waiting for the right time to build. General Steel has made it impossible to wait any longer with rock-bottom prices that could save you thousands. That's right. General Steel, America's leader in pre-engineered structures, is offering buildings at prices you will never see again. Don't miss these prices. A 50 by 100 for $35,000. You heard right. That's 5,000 square feet for $35,000. Manufacturers, if you need a larger building, try a 100 by 100 commercial building for $129,000. You can't afford to rent with these prices. Imagine a 70 by 100 
1,500-foot church building for under $69,000. With the economy improving and interest rates still at historic lows, you can't afford to wait. So call Welcome back. You're listening to the Truth Seekers Radio Show. Today, my guest is Rob Skiba. Now, Rob, one of the things that comes up a lot is GPS and satellites. What mm-hmm. what have you learned about that, or what would you say to somebody who says, well, what about the satellites and the GPS? I was, uh, about this time last year, I went to San Diego, and it was uh very shortly after last year when I went, it was very shortly after I had first started looking to, into Mark Sargent's stuff. So it was very fresh on my mind. And, you know, I'm looking out the window, I'm seeing flat horizons, I'm taking pictures of it, flat horizons. I get to San Diego, we had some time to, to just sightsee before we went to the conference, and the USS Midway was has been turned into a museum. And so I thought, you know, go on this aircraft carrier, this would be cool, and kill some time and go on a little, you know, uh, field trip here, and um, so I spent four hours on this carrier. And this guy that was the tour guide takes this and he's explaining what the different parts were. We go into the navigation room, and I just so happen to be standing right next to the GPS devices. And he knows nothing about me or what I'm thinking or what I'm looking into. He's telling all the people who are on this tour, you know, what's going on in the navigation room. And he says, "Oh, and you know, just so you know, GPS." is owned, operated, and run by the United States. We just let the rest of the world use it. So everybody in the world that's using GPS technology is has been given the privilege of using our technology. We grant it to them, which means we control it. Mm-hmm. That's the number one flag right there. Oh, okay, we're controlling it. I met another guy who who is actually the guy who sponsored the event in Austin that I was talking about a minute ago. He has a friend that was a career Air Force guy, who works in the field of GPS, you know, type of, he, that's what he does in the Air Force. And so my friend was asking him, he said, you know, I'd heard rumors that GPS is all ground-based. And without flinching, without blinking, without skipping a beat, this Air Force guy tells my friend, oh, yeah, absolutely, it's all ground-based. So wow. that dispenses with the illusion that we all, we think GPS, we say global positioning satellite. Mm-hmm. It's actually GPS global positioning system. But we think it's all related to satellite. Well, I have one guy that, I, that is telling me, right to my face, that was a guy who was on that ship, you know, when he was in the Navy. He was served on the ship, telling us that, no, that's all, it's all owned and operated by the United States. An Air Force guy is saying it's all ground-based. So that's what I'm, I'm starting to question all of that. Then um, I started thinking about, well, where are the satellites? So you look up where the sat- satellites are, supposedly. They're in the thermosphere. Well, it's called the thermosphere because it gets really hot there. Going back to 9-11, we were told that three buildings melted, basically, that the steel was weakened by jet fuel, which only burns at about 1,800 degrees, and jet uh, steel melts at like 2,500 degrees or thereabouts. Um, and so, you know, when jet fuel burned for like a few seconds, because that's all it took for the fuel to burn off, that uh, that was enough for a few seconds, not even the full temperature to melt steel, but it weakened it enough, these buildings disintegrated into a pile of ash into their own footprints on 9-11. And yet satellites made of weaker material than steel are up there in the thermosphere that gets up to 5,000 degrees. 
they've been up there for decades. Now, some people will say, well, the, there's not enough molecules up there. Uh, the atmosphere is a lot thinner up there, so you know, the atmosphere doesn't retain the heat. Well, okay, let, let's assume that's true. The atmosphere has not enough molecules to retain the heat. The satellites have plenty of molecules. There's lots of mass in the molecules of the satellite, which means the satellite, you know, if you're going to say the atmosphere doesn't have enough to retain the heat, which if you just reverse that argument, if the atmosphere did have enough molecules, it would retain the heat. Well, you just destroyed your own argument because the satellite has the mass. It has the molecules. In that region of space, they should be melting. So I am questioning that, uh, that, that, that satellites could even be real. Um, but having said that, I actually don't have a problem with satellites being real. Uh, if, if the geocentric model of the snow globe is true, and the best estimates that I have read say that the sun is something like 35 miles across you know, diameter, and it's about 3,000 miles up, according to that model. Okay, and it's somehow suspended up there doing its thing with the moon. It's not a stretch for me, therefore, to imagine that, that we could put objects up there that could be suspended up there by the same mechanism that's holding the sun and moon up there, whatever that is, you know, be it density or the ether or electromagnetism, whatever. You know, if they can be held up there, suspended up there, if it's true, in the snow globe, then I don't have a problem imagining satellites could be up there, too, doing the same thing. But, again, I'm questioning all that because, you know, if they're in the thermosphere and it really gets that hot, you know, and how come we've never seen a picture of a satellite taking a picture of a satellite? Mm-hmm. And where are the stars and all the pictures that we always see from the space shuttle and from the moon? Where are the stars? You know, and they say, well, that's exposure. The camera iris is, you know, cranked down or whatever, so you can't see it. Yeah, I don't really buy it, especially with today's digital equipment. I, you know, I, I'm questioning all of it, to be honest with you. I mean, I know what they tell us, but... And why can you cross the Tijuana border and, you know, if it's satellites doing GPS and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're, it's working fine in the United States, you cross the border and all of a sudden the satellite can't find you anymore? Right. <laughs> what about you know. the uh, International Space Station? What have you seen on that? And what do you think? Well, of that? there's something up there, that's for sure. People have seen it, you know, plenty of times. Uh, you know, amateur astronomers you know, have seen it go across the moon. You know, and have posted videos of it. I, I believe there's something up there. Whether or not there are people in it, that's the big question. I myself don't believe that there are people in it doing what we see them supposedly doing. And when I was looking up the patents and saw the patents on the fake sun from the 1960s, I also found NASA patents on creating artificial space environments in the 1960s. Wow. So they were creating environments that would simulate space mm-hmm. on Earth in the 60s. So, I mean, here we are, you know, 50 years later. Uh, it's not a stretch for me to imagine that some kind of hangar or some place that would be decked out using the same technology that was patented back in the 60s to make astronauts float around. You know, I have no problem believing that that could be plausible. And I heard somewhere one of these videos about the Van Allen radiation belts, how mm-hmm. they they've since said, well, you can't. You, they could have never made it through the Van Allen radiation belts because something about they, the reason why they made it through is because they didn't know about it. What kind of argument is that? Yeah, exactly. That's uh, you're talking about uh, Alan Bean, I think was the he was an Apollo 12 astronaut, wh- whichever one it was. I think it was him. But um, yeah, there's um, I pr- produced a video on this, and I know other people have a, as well. But NASA did a video of Project Orion after the space shuttle was retired. And they concluded the space shuttle program. The next 
program is Project Orion. And I found like three or four videos, official NASA videos, talking about the Orion project, saying that they had still have been work they have been working on and have yet to solve the radiation problem of the Van Allen radiation belts. And we've got to solve this problem before we can send astronauts through the radiation belt. Well, wait a minute. You told us you went through that thing 12 times, you know, six times there and back, a you know, round trip with dudes wearing jumpsuits in a tin can. You know, why don't you just put on the same jumpsuits and get in the same tin can? I don't, I don't get it. And by the way, why, why don't you put on the same jumpsuit to go clean up Fukushima while you're at it? You know, I think they're exposing themselves with all this stuff. You just did a uh, video on the maps. I don't think we yeah. cover all that in the last. I think you t- might have touched on it. What is it that you found when because you've started looking at these maps lately? Well, there's what's been called the flat Earth map, and usually what they're referring to is what's called the azimuthal equidistant map, the AE map, uh, which is the same image that you see on the logo for the United Nations. And so, you know, the Bible talks about the circular flat Earth. Um, so that has been the map that has sort of been adopted as this must be the flat Earth map. So it well, kind of it looks like the it looks like what's on the globe but flattened out, right? That, yeah, that map, the Azimuthal equidistant map, is basically a ball that's been squished. It's a globe projection mm-hmm. map based on the on the globe. You know, so if you took a, a globe and squished it, uh, that's what you'd end up with. So it, the continents are distorted. For it to be to, to look the way it is, and really all flat maps, you know, whether you talk about the Mercator map or the, um, uh, or I can't think of the other one. No, there's a number of, you know, there's a whole bunch of them, really. Any flat map that you see of the world uh, that's based off of the globe, something's going to be distorted, you know, so, something's going to be skewed a certain way or what, whatnot. So you run into the same problem with the azimuthal equidistant map. But what I realized was a lot of people who were flat earthers looking into the issues like the Southern flight issues. We're getting hung up on this map because they were, they were looking at the inner flights, the, the flights within the, the continents that are closer to the circle of the disc of the circular map. Mm-hmm. And let's say you had a, you drew a ruler, you know, from the, if you're flying from Texas to Kazakhstan or someplace, you know, and let's say, you know, you get the distance there and you know, the flight is like 14 hours. So your, your assumption is you take this length, that represents 14 hours. Well, if you're going from Santiago to Sydney and you take that same length and cut and paste it from Santiago to Sydney, Australia, you'd have to cut and paste it like two or three times. You follow? Like that same, if you're taking the assumption that that's your, your rule of 14-hour mm-hmm. flight. Right. Because it's the same, that, that flight is like 14 hours and change, like 14 hours, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, nonstop. And that's a huge. That was a huge problem for a number of us that were looking at the what we called the flat Earth map. But what I realized was, I started just thinking about the name. That map is the azimuthal equidistant map. Well, it's called azimuthal because <clears throat> the projection is taken off the North Pole and it has all these lines going off of it. <clears throat> well, that's the azimuth lines from the North Pole to the various continents. It's just, that's that part of the name. But I was thinking about the equidistant part of it. And what I noticed is a lot of people are looking at the Gleason Standard Map that was published in 1892. It has a part of a ruler that was uh, connected at the center of the map that you could rotate around it for distance, but it's been torn off at about 33rd 
interestingly enough, about the 30th, 33rd parallel. But it had black, white, black, white lines on it to represent scale. And so what I did was I just copied what was available of that ruler before it was torn off and replicated it in Photoshop to complete it so it went from the center all the way to the outer rim of the circle. So you had a consistent black, white, black, white, black, white, equidistant ruler. And then I looked at the outer rim of the circle and saw that the same black, white pattern was on the outer circle. And I, that's when I realized, Whoa, oh, this is what this is telling us, that even though it, the, the lines of longitude span out necessarily from the center going outward for the azimuthal part of it, it's still equidistant. In other words, the, the grid squares, if I can use that term, of the latitude lines you know, cross sec- crossing with the longitude lines, each square is equidistant. So the squares in the center, even though they look smaller, represent the same amount of distance as the very large squares on the outer rim. It's just skewed for the purpose of that projection. When I realized that, I realized, oh, okay. So each square represents the same distance on the outer as it does in the inner. Then when I did the... Uh, did my own ruler based on equidistance, I found that it's almost exactly the same. It comes up about 14 hours and change. Hmm. So, you know, I didn't have a lot of time to go much deeper than that. I just put it out there for the, you know, hive mind to take over and said, hey, you know, here's what I found. Run with it, you know. But this should answer the question of the problem people are having is why the assumption doesn't work of taking inner distances and applying it to the outside with a you know, if, you, if you're cutting and pasting lines, it, it's not going to work. You have to take into consideration that it's equidistant. So wh- what do we do with that then? Well, in my opinion then, if the azimuth lines are true, and at this point I don't have any, question, any reason to question it, that if you're going off the center of the circle or the North Pole, in any of those directions, you end up at the various continents that the lines are drawn over. Great. Then what we have to do is unskew the continents because they're all skewed and squished and stuff because because they're being projected off a ball. And we'd have to figure out a way to make that look appropriately and still have the distances be what they should be. And I don't know that that's possible. I don't know that that could be done. Um, Tiger Dan was another guy who set out to try to create the, an official flat earth map and get the distances right. And he basically had a meltdown and then did a 180 and called it all flat earthers crazy and stupid and, you know, had a meltdown. Um, but I understand why that happened, because I had sort of my own meltdown myself. And if you get too wrapped up in this stuff, you're going to run into roadblocks. Now, are those game-ending roadblocks saying this is an irrefutable piece of evidence that proves the globe? I have yet to find that. But I've seen enough that make me question the globe and say, well, okay, ballers. For me, the trump card for them is how do you get the horizon to go up with you when you go off a ball on the y-axis? Try it. Get 3D software. Get a ball. Do whatever you have to do to try to emulate that, bearing in mind that you think ships go over the curve in less than eight miles. Their their counter-argument, well, the ball must be way bigger. Well, if you go bigger than 25,000 miles in circumference, then your 24-hour clock goes out the window. They have problems, too. At this point, we've all got big problems to solve. Rob, we're running out of time, so how I want to end is, to me, this is the most important question. I always hear... Uh, people say, whether it's a globe or not, what does it matter? Why do you think it matters? Why should we care about this? Well, as we said in the previous 
show. This model, if we are in a still flat or a set on pillars under a dome, tells you in no uncertain terms that there is a creator. That should matter. And I have had a lot of people write to me, email me, call me that were former atheists or agnostics that have now had to reckon with the fact, because you know, many of these people went ahead and converted to flat earth and totally believe it, they, as a result, had to acknowledge and recognize that there is a God. If there is a God and he's watching over us, then i got to get right with him. That's really important. And the other thing is that if this model is true, then it validates the scriptures as absolutely true. And as I said before, we can never trust NASA, the government, or the military again. And we have to rethink everything. I mean, it's extremely important when you start looking at the ramifications of all this stuff. So, you know, as a Bible-believing Christian, my statement would be to other Christians, does the Bible matter? Because if it does, then this is an important issue to nail down. Because the Bible is a flat-earth book from Genesis to Revelation. Well, listen, I thank you so much for your time. Give out your um, web address, please, again. Okay. Uh, people are interested in looking more into this research that I've done, go to testingtheglobe.com. If you're interested in my other research, I've created another website that's sort of a hub to get you to almost everything else, and that's robschannel.com. This robs with the plural, robschannel.com. Our possessive. Rob is in a possessive. <laughs> Robschannel.com. <laughs> okay, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening to our show tonight. My guest has been Rob Skiba, and until next week on the True Seekers Radio Show, God bless.